So we are continuing our series on work-related problems and tonight we come to workaholism and time management and that is in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and that's around about in the middle of your Bible Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the Afrikaans Prediker Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 to 15 Let's pray Heavenly Father, as we come to you this evening, we ask for grace in the revealing of the truth, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things out of your law, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us a heart to receive the truth. Give us a heart that is tender toward you, a heart that listens to you, and a heart that will be obedient to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The world praises people who are busy. It praises busyness. And some people flourish on the applause when, when people praise them for being so active and so busy. And in the end they become workaholics. And perhaps you want, perhaps you realize that you are caught in this trap, you are caught in the net of workaholism, and you just can't escape, you don't know how. And that's where Ecclesiastes 3 comes in, and it, it, gives, us, it gives us guides, guidelines for, for time management so that you can escape from the snare of workaholism, like a bird escapes from a trap. So, first command, if you want to escape workaholism and know how to manage your time. Number one, realize that God is sovereign and you are not. Verse 1 to 10. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain is the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. Have you ever complained? I simply do not have enough time. There are not enough hours in a day. I need a bar one for a 25-hour day. Well, actually God's plan for a 24-hour day is perfect, which means that either you are too busy or you aren't managing your time well. So how do you solve this problem? Well, even before getting yourself a diary, uh, schedule, Pull up, drop a roster, something of the kind. 
you need to realize you are not sovereign over time. God is. Verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. God is the one who determines times and seasons. God is the one who changes times and seasons. Daniel 2.21, Acts 1 verse 7. And God is, is, is so involved in our lives that God has determined and decreed a specific time for everything. He has determined the detail of your life up to the second. Verse 1, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Uh, it says that all my days were written in God's book before there were any of them. Psalm 139, 16. So you make your plans, Proverbs 16, verse 1, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19, verse 21. Man, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. 20 verse 24. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Ephesians 1.11 says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And, and that includes detail like God numbering the hairs of your head. As Jesus taught us and as James taught us, don't say, I'm going to this city, I'll stay there a year, I'll make so much profit. Rather say, I will go to the city and do this or that if I live and if God wills. So we simply need to remind ourselves that God is in control of time and of my life. We simply need to submit to God, subject ourselves to Him, and accept that, that even things like, like luck, the world would call it luck. Even that is under his control. Like we read in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11 and 12. Again I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, the battle not to the strong, the bread not to the wise, riches not to the intelligent, favor to, not to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. And then it continues. So God is in control of time and what, what we would call luck even. Um, for instance, in Proverbs 16, verse 33, it says, the lot is cast into the lap, and it's every decision is from the Lord. Or in 1 Kings 22, 34, a man draws his bow at random and just lets an arrow fly, and he strikes the king, and the king dies. And that was part of the prophecy, this king's going to die in battle. So God's in control of that. Your times are in God's hands. Verse 1 says, for every matter under heaven, meaning heaven, God, God who is in heaven, God who rules, everything under heaven, everything's under his control. Psalm 31.15 says, my times are in your hand. So God has determined the day of your birth and the day of your death. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. God opens the womb, God closes the womb. Abraham, you will have a son this time next year. Next year comes, and at exactly that time he has a son. Jacob, or at least Isaac, his wife can't fall pregnant, and he prays, and God opens her womb. God opens the womb of Leah. God withholds children from Rachel, and then later on opens her womb. You, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God has knit me together in my mother's womb. Psalm 139.13. And many other verses that say the same 
thing. For instance, in the day of our death, Job chapter 14, verse 5, we read that the number of man's months is with God. Let me just read the verse to you properly, Job 14, 5. Since man's days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Uh, King Saul, even suicide, for instance. King Saul, we read in uh, 1 Chronicles 10, in verse 4, he commits suicide. In verse 14, it says the Lord killed him. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 8. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. God decides that. God decides when he plants a nation, when he plucks it up. When he builds up a nation, when he breaks it down. Verse 2 and 3. A time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Uh, you find the same Jeremiah 1, verse 10, those same phrases. Uh, even in Acts 17, 26, it says, The Lord determines the dwelling places of all the nations. He sets the borders. He decides how long these nations exist and when they stop existing. God determines when, when, he, when to kill someone and when to heal someone. Verse 3, time to kill and a time to heal. God killed Judah's sons, two of his sons, in Genesis 38. The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life in Deuteronomy 32:39. He heals people like Jesus, healing many, many people. So he determines when that happens. God determines when you receive bad news that makes you cry and mourn. God determines when you receive good news that makes you laugh and dance. Verse 4, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. The Almighty has brought much bitterness upon me. Sadness, my husband and two, both my sons died. Naomi said in Ruth chapter 1, the Almighty has done this. Or in Genesis 21 verse 6, God caused laughter for Sarah by giving her a son. So there's a time to laugh. He has turned my mourning into dancing. Uh, Psalm 30 verse 12, he has filled our mouth with laughter and with joy in Psalm 126, and then he determines a day when there will be no more tears. He will wipe away the tears from our eyes. God determines when people pick up stones and when they throw them away. Verse 5, time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones. He determined, now's the time, David, you're going to pick up five smooth stones at the brook. And now's the time, David, you're going to sling that stone and kill the giant. God determines when stones are moved from the way because the king is coming, the highway needs to be cleared, and he determines when you throw stones on to an enemy's field to ruin it. 2 Kings 3 verse 19 and 25, Isaiah 62 verse 10. So even, even lifeless stones are part of God's foreordained counsel and his decree. God determines when you embrace your marriage partner, and when you don't embrace. Verse 5, B, time to embrace, time to refrain from embracing. He determines, Leviticus 18, verse 19, it's that time of the month for your wife, and you can't embrace her. He determines, Joel 2, verse 16, that the bride and bridegroom come out of their room. It's not a time for embracing now. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5, there's a time not to embrace your spouse, but it's a time for prayer. He even determines... If you get married or if you don't. If you do have someone to embrace or don't have someone to embrace. Proverbs 19 verse 14. A prudent wife is from the Lord. 
First Corinthians seven verse seven. It's from the Lord, your gift, whether your gift is being married or being single. God determines when you lose something and you have to seek for it. You have to look for it. Verse six: Time to seek, a time to lose. Like King Saul, God determined the donkeys would be lost. His father's donkeys. He had to seek for them, and in the process. He met Samuel and was anointed as king. God determines when you keep something and when you throw it away. Verse 6b, time to keep and a time to cast away. For instance, a lady threw away a sermon of Charles Spurgeon and that sermon was used to wrap a block of butter in, the, in, in one of the pages of the sermon and the lady who bought the butter read the page and was converted. God determined that it was a time to lose or time to throw away and not keep and someone else was saved. God determines when something is torn. Verse 7, a time to tear. Like Samuel, his cloak was torn. His mantle was torn by King Saul. And Samuel turned around, just like you tore my mantle, God will tear the kingdom from you. God determines this is a time of very bad news and Job tears his clothes. God determines that the curtain of the temple must be torn in two from top to bottom. And then God determines sometimes that something shouldn't be torn, like Jesus' clothes, when the soldiers cast lots for it. Or he determines the time of mourning has passed, the time of weeping has passed, and the torn clothes will now be sewn together again. Verse 7, next part, a time to sew. God determines there's a time to speak and a time to keep silence. Verse 7b, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, it says. He determines that his son, Jesus Christ, will keep silent, Isaiah prophesied. He will not open his mouth when he is put on trial. And he determines when you speak. For instance, a friend of mine, uh, just a few weeks ago, he went to a man's house and he said to the man, Do you have a new heart? Or are you just coming to church for the girls? And later on, a few days later, my friend was evangelizing in another part, many kilometers away, and a man came up to him and said, do you have a Bible for me? And my friend said, do I know you? And the guy said, yes. You were at my friend's house the other day, and you asked him, do you have a new heart? And when I heard that, I thought, that's what I need. And ever since, my friend has been having Bible studies with him for the past three weeks. So God determined my friend should speak and speak those words. God determines love and hate. Verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate. Now, that doesn't mean that God forces you to love him. And so your love is not real love. It's forced on you. No, what it means is, is that God will give you a new heart so that you are able to love. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Moses writes, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. The fruit of the Spirit is love. God has poured His love into our hearts. Romans 5, verse 5 tells us. And when it says a time to hate, it doesn't mean that God causes hate in someone. 
Because God cannot be tempted with evil and neither does he tempt anyone. God is light, in him is no darkness at all. But it does mean that even sin is part of God's eternal will, his sovereign will. So there's a time to hate. Psalm 105 verse 25, God turned their hearts to hate his people. So can I summarize it in this way? Randy Alcon says, God isn't the author of evil, but he is the author of a story that includes evil. So two, two Bible verses to prove this. Joseph's brothers hated him, but it was part of God's plan when they sold him to Egypt. Although they meant it for evil, God meant it for good to save lives. Genesis 50 verse 20 tells us. People hated Jesus and they crucified him, but that was part of God's plan that he should die for the sins of the world. Acts 2, 23, Acts 4, verse 27 and 28. Check it up. God determines war. God determines peace. It's part of his plan. Verse 8b. A time for war and a time for peace. So God, you read the book of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And you see God prophesies, this is how the war will work. Daniel 11, this is exactly what's going to happen. Jesus prophesied wars would come in general. And then very specifically in Revelation 16, Revelation 20, it prophesies these wars, Armageddon, this will happen, this will happen. John, the Apostle John prophesies. Isaiah 2 verse 4 prophesies a time of peace where they will beat their swords into plowing shares and their pruning uh, or their, their spears into pruning knives. All right, so now does, does verse 1 to 8 mean we are, oh, people are just robots? They don't make real choices. Everything's predetermined. That's not what it means. What it means is God's will is sovereign and yours is not. Your and my will as human beings, our will is under God's will. It's like when you catch an ant and you put it in a glass bottle and you put it in your biology lab. All right, so the ant is free to walk where it pleases, but you have determined it can only walk in the bottle and that bottle must be in the, the biology lab. So your will is sovereign over the ant's will, although he's still exercising his own will. All right, so next question then, but... If God controls all things, if he's in control of all things, well, then it, then it doesn't matter whether I pray or not. It doesn't matter whether I take action or not. God's just going to do what he wants anyway. So I might as well just sit back and whatever will be, will be. Well, the Bible doesn't teach the fatalism, that kind of teaching. What the Bible does teach is God has determined that certain actions will have certain results or certain consequences. For instance, if you do not pray, you will not receive. God has determined the consequence. So don't say, oh, well, God has determined, so whether I pray or not, it's going to happen. No. God has determined if you pray, it happens. If you don't pray, it won't. So what's the implication of verse 1 to 8 when we get to the topic of workaholism? God is in control of your life, and you are not. As simple as that. So don't frustrate yourself because you're trying to control every single detail of your life. Verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? What gain do you have trying to control verse 1 to 8 kind of things? You are not in control. And you know, such people, usually they're perfectionists. 
They think they're superhuman. And in the end, they burn out because they just say they simply can't get to everything. They try to be sovereign over their jobs. And then what happens is they neglect their families. And in the end, their marriages get cold and their kids hate their jobs. I hate my dad's job. It just takes him away from us. And, and then in the end, there's an estrangement between parents and children. And such people, they, they say they're too busy, these workaholics. They say they're too busy. I don't have time for the Lord. I don't have time for quiet time. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for my marriage. I don't have time for my children. Uh, but in most, in most cases, it's all about priorities. That's what it's about. They make an idol of work. And why do they do that? Well, it makes them feel good. It makes them feel wanted. I feel needed. I feel important. Or perhaps it's about money. And they're they just working all the time because it's money they want or Maybe success or fame or acceptance or the favor of the boss or they want rewards and they want all these perks at work and they want incentives and want to win the holiday to the Seychelles. Or maybe they're afraid of people. They fear men. They, they fear people. They fear no, people are going to be angry if I don't keep on working like this or, or they're not going to praise me anymore and say what a wonderful worker I am. And so actually what they're doing is they're finding their identity in work and not in Christ. And then other people, they're workaholics because they're anxious. They think if I work like a normal person, I won't have enough to, to live on and, and I'll die. And they don't trust that God is in control. They don't believe with verse 1 to 8, that God is in control of all things. They think they should be in control. And what they need is a, a good dose of of Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34 in the morning. That don't be anxious. God will provide what you need. You just do your job and trust the Lord. Um, that they, need, they need to swallow Psalm 127, verse 2, before they go to bed. That it's foolish to get up early in the morning and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil God gives to his beloved sleep. God will provide. You just work hard in the day and don't be anxious and there's a time for rest, go to bed and trust the Lord will provide. Other people are workaholics because they, they do other people's work for them. So that's why they're workaholics. I'll do your job for you. And they're doing three people's work. And the other people are just sitting back because I know you'll do the job for me. You're a workaholic. Or they think, or they think, no, no, I'll do this myself. I'll do this myself. I don't want other people to do this job because no one's as good as I am. Listen, swallow your pride and ask for help. Other people are workaholics because they want to forget their sin. Proverbs 28 verse 1, the wicked runs when no one pursues. So they're running away from their own consciences and they think if they, I just keep busy, then I won't think of the problem, I won't think of my sin, I'll forget about it. Well, that's not the solution. Biblical solution is confess your sin. Biblical solution is repent of your sin. And God will forgive you. And God will cleanse your conscience. Other people are workaholics because they just want to forget about their bad circumstances at home. They want to get away from that. Uh, Proverbs 21 verse 19 says, It's better to live in a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome woman. And that could be the opposite too. Better to share a house with a or live in the desert then with uh, a man that is a bully or whatever. So these people want to get away from home, and that's why they at work all the time. Well, what you need is not running away and finding 
your rest and salvation in your job, you need the gospel if you're not saved. And secondly, if you are saved, you need biblical counseling or you need to follow the process of church discipline or you need to go to the police if necessary. Other people are workaholics because their boss is a slave master, a taskmaster. And so you need to pray that the Lord will change your boss's heart. Perhaps even talk to your boss and say, I can't work these kinds of hours. And then even pray for another job. If the boss just won't reduce the hours, pray for another job, even if they pay less. I know a guy who earned a very big salary at one of the biggest companies in South Africa, and it was just too much. Uh, when it was shut down, they would keep him there, and he would work for two weeks, sometimes for longer, non-stop. He would leave the house when his kids were still asleep at 5 in the morning or 4.30, and he would get back home at 10 at night when the kids were already in bed, sleeping. So for two weeks, living in the same house as his kids, he didn't see them. And he resigned. He resigned. He said, I'm not doing this. And he found a job at another company for a significant amount less, less pay, but he took the job. He'd rather have a life than be a workaholic. So what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you don't be a workaholic if you can help it. So unfortunately, um, sometimes you do have a boss like that, but as I said, pray for another job. But being a workaholic, it's, it's unhealthy, it's sin, because you're making an idol of work, and work is your saviour, instead of Jesus, and it does not honour God. And if you keep on wanting to be in control, then God will frustrate your plans for you. He will let your car break, or your computer freeze, or He will send people to interrupt you so you can't get your job done. Verse 10. I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. The Lord wants you to realize He is sovereign, and you are not. Verse 1 to 8, and not verse 9 and 10. Number two, second command. Get a long-term vision. Verse 11. So, verse 11 reads, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So, here's a pair of socks. You buy them from some Chinese flea market. And they've got cartoon on the outside or some beautiful pattern. And then if you turn the sock inside out, then you'll see some beautiful colors on the inside, but a lot of black. And it's like these threads, it doesn't make sense on the inside. God sees the outside of this pair of socks, and he knows exactly what he's doing. You don't know, but he's mixing the good and the bad in your life to make a beautiful picture to make you more like Jesus. Verse 11a, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything meaning verse 1 to 8. Every single thing, the detail of your life, whether good or bad, God is mixing to make it beautiful in its time. That's Romans 8. God works all things together for the good of those who are loving, those who are called according to his purpose. And why is he doing that? Or how is he doing that? Verse 29 says, to make you more like Jesus. 
and by making you more like Christ. So we, we need to learn to trust God. And I'm going to apply this to work now, but to trust God when things at work simply won't work out. It's not working as it ought. Well, you should realize it's God that made the network hang. It's God that sent COVID-19. It's God that called for the lockdown. It's God that brought load shedding. It's God that made you lose your job. Or whatever. Verse 1 to 8. Every single detail. Positive or negative. Now to you, it just looks like the senseless, vain, empty frustration. But God has a plan with these things. So look further than the problem and ask the Lord to help you to make the best of the, the card that he has dealt for you. To play that card and say, this is what the Lord has brought in my life at this moment and this is how I should deal with it to honor God. Because if, if you're going to come, become bitter or you become rebellious or you start questioning God, that's not going to help. All that's going to happen is you're just going to frustrate yourself further. You're going to make your blood pressure rise and perhaps you'll get a heart attack and die. So instead of becoming frustrated because of things happening in your life and these difficult things, rather listen to a yearning that God has put in your heart that tells you this is not all there is. This is not all there is. There is a life coming, eternal life, where there will be no sin or frustration or tears or pain or death. Verse 11b. He has put eternity into man's heart. There's something inside you that knows. This is not right. This world is crooked and bent. must be fixed. And it won't happen in this life. So don't be like the workaholics. They live for this world. They live for their jobs. Rather give the best of your time, the best of your energy to prepare your heart for eternity, 11b. God has put eternity into man's heart. How do you do that? You trust in Jesus Christ. You trust that Jesus took the, the punishment for sinners on a cross. You trust him as the, the great restorer, not only of your broken life, but of a broken world. And then you accept that everything that happens in your life, also the bad, everything is a gift from God's hand and it's under His control. 11a, He has made everything, good and bad, everything beautiful in its time. God is in control, verse 1 to 8. Now, if you don't live for the Lord and you keep on living for your job, well, you'll never be satisfied. You will never find fulfillment. Never. Verse 11b said God has placed eternity into man's heart. And so the only thing that can satisfy that longing is the eternal God. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So don't keep on frittering and running around and being a workaholic, your heart will remain restless. Your job will never bring satisfaction. Only God can. So if you rest in the Lord, you don't have to 
try and exhaust yourself and exhaust yourself trying to, trying to understand why did this bad thing happen to me. You don't have to run around. You can't figure it out. Verse 11 at the end. Man cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Rather trust God knows best. Even though you don't understand his ways, you, you don't understand what he's doing, you can't control all things in your life. 11b. You cannot find out what God has done from into the beginning. From the beginning to the end. God's ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so his ways are higher than yours and his thoughts than yours. O depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Who can understand God's ways? Who can see through all his plans and understand them? So people, people who have this long-term vision, or let's say at least people who miss this long-term vision, they're the types of people, they're the kinds of people that they'll just work their whole life. They'll just uh, work themselves to death. They're workaholics, working, working, working from early in the morning till late at night. That's their life. And then they'll lie on their deathbed one day, and they say, you know, I'm sorry that I worked this way. That I spent my whole life just worshipping work. And then they'll wish they'd given more time to the things that are really important. The things that have eternal value. Third command, live a balanced life. Verse 12 and 13. So the saying goes, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Now, if you, if you live the way God wants you to, there'll be joy and you can enjoy life. Verse 12 and 13. I perceive there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Chapter 2 said the same, 24 and 25. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat and who can have enjoyment. God gives us bread to eat, wine to drink, Psalm 104, 14 and 15, oil to make your face shine. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, God richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Now perhaps you think, yes, I, I hear all of that, but I just need to work some more. And, and one day when I retire, then I'll enjoy life. Who says you're going to retire? What if you die before then? Like Jesus said about that man, the rich man in the parable, you fool, you fool. I have all these riches that I've stored up now, I'll enjoy my life, you fool. Whose will they be? You're going to die, your soul will be taken from you this very night. So use your time wisely. How should you do it? Don't work all the time. God wants, there's a, God wants you to work, but there's a time where God wants you to enjoy the fruit of your work, the fruit of your labors, the fruit of your toil. Eat and drink and share with others, do good and, and have a good time with your loved ones, with your family, with your friends. Verse 12 says that. Be joyful, verse 13. Eat, drink, take pleasure. Verse 12, do good. Verse 13, take pleasure in your toil. It's a gift from God. So plan, plan, use your time well and realize you are not going to be here forever. 
Think how short your life is. Redeem the time. So if you want to plan your time wisely and plan well, I'd suggest that you keep a journal. I'm not saying a diary. I'm not saying uh, plan your time. Monday I've got this meeting. Tuesday I've got that appointment. I'm not saying that. I'm saying keep a journal. In other words, at the end of the day, saying what did I do with my time today? And by doing that, a detailed journal, just for a week or so, you can see where's most of my time going? And where should I change? And then get rid of stuff in your life that wastes time. Like hours on your cell phone or the internet or daydreaming or sleeping too much or, or people who just babble, people who just talk and talk and they talk and talk and they love talking and talking and they waste your time. And then also, to help, I think a diary will help. So a diary now to schedule your time. And to meet out your time every day, to draw up a roster, to say, right, Mondays, from this to this time, quiet time. From this time to this time, I need to get ready for work. From this time to this time, I go to work, I've got these meetings. And then this time I get home. And then so many hours for my family and time for eating and time for showering and whatever else. But schedule your time. Uh, but be careful, be careful. Don't let the diary start controlling your life your daily planner. Don't let it control your life. Remember verse 1 to 8. God controls all things. You're not in control. So be flexible if things come that you didn't plan for. And in your diary then, then focus not on the things that are urgent. Focus on the things that are important. What is priority? Everything's going to say, I'm urgent, do me first. No, what is important? The Bible says these are priorities in order. God, marriage, family, church, work, and then relaxing and the rest. And some would say, no, 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 work and church needs to swap. Well, figure it out, but definitely God first. God first. You look at Israel's calendar, their whole calendar for the year revolved around God. The rest just had to fit in somewhere else. So you look at their calendar where it says the different feasts. God, he's at the center. And that's basically what Jesus taught us in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's number one. And then all these things will be added to you. God will give what you need. But you see to it, God is first. And it's very sad that many people, they just simply don't believe that. They don't believe that principle. And they'll, they'll keep on trying to control their lives. And they'll keep on being workaholics. And on the judgment day... They will have no excuse for why they put God gifts, God's gifts above him. A gift like work. Come on, number four. Submit to God. Verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. When you get to heaven and God shows you the plan he had for your life, exactly why he let things happen and why you lost your job and why this happened and why the one thing happened and why the next happened, when you see that, your jaw will drop and you'll say, I didn't understand at the time. I see it now. I can see your plan was perfect. If I could press repeat, you can do it the same way. That was a perfect plan you had. And we, we need to realize that now, not just one day when you get to heaven. Don't think that 
you can change God's eternal plan and God's perfect plan for your life, or you can you can add something to it and make it better, or take something away from it. You can't. Verse 14, see, whatever God does endures forever. It's an eternal plan. Nothing can be added to that. Nothing can be taken from it. So then don't try to be the captain of your own ship. Submit to God. Submit to the all-wise God, the loving God, who has already decreed and determined every step of the way for your life. Even the difficult things that come across your path. The verse 1 to 8 kind of stuff. Submit. End of verse 14. God has done it so the people fear before him. Fear God. And then final command, number five. Don't overestimate your own value. Verse 15. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. So you get these parents. They are over-sensitive almost. They are, that's not the correct word I'm looking for. Over-cautious, that's the word. Over-cautious. So they've got a teenager and they're too afraid to let the teenager cook in the kitchen or bake a cake because they're going to hurt themselves. I must do everything for you. We shouldn't be like that. Don't be like that in your workplace where you think the company can't do without me. Listen, there have been cycles in creation since the dawn of time and there will be cycles again. The sun will rise, the sun will set. Water will evaporate, It'll form into clouds, the wind will blow it inland, it'll rain, it'll fall into the rivers, and it'll run back into the ocean. And the cycle will be repeated. The wind will blow around and around from pole to pole, the wind will blow. The cycle will be repeated. And so the same with you and my life. There have been people like you in the past, there will be people like you again in future. Verse 4, chapter 1, a generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And then the creation cycles, verse 5 to 7, or 5 to 7, yes, and then verse 9, what has been is what will be, what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. And the same in verse 15 of our chapter. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. So you are not someone that you, this extra special person, there's never been a person like you at the company and, and they won't do without you. Listen, when you die, if you're gone, life's going to go on. So what's the lesson? The lesson is do your best. Do your best. But don't work as if you are the Lord because you're not. You are not God. And so you don't have to try and live without sleep. You don't have to be a workaholic. So work hard. Six days you shall work, but rest. One day for rest. Even Jesus told his disciples to come aside and rest. And in that way you'll get more done. By resting you'll get more done than the person who's a workaholic. The person who's working all the time. Because they're going to burn out. The, the edge or the blade of their axe is getting blunt. You need to rest and sharpen the blade. And you'll get more done. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10. And if you won't learn your lesson and you're not willing to learn the lesson, then God's going to take you over the same terrain. He'll take you over again and again and again until you get the lesson. Verse 15 at the end. God seeks what has been driven away or what has been pursued. He'll bring you back. And you need to learn the lesson. 
And I'd say, frankly, it's unnecessary for you to bump your head a second time. You don't need to do that. You don't have to be like a kid who gets bitten twice by the same dog because he keeps on trying to take the dog's bone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is a genuine problem we understand, we realize, and we also realize how deep our sin is, Lord. Sometimes we just think it's a frustration to be a workaholic, but it's not, it's a sin, because we're worshiping work. I know we pray, Lord, that you would help your people, even Christians who are tempted to be workaholics, many of us at times, forgive us our sins, and please help us to worship you and not work, and to find the balance between hard work and rest and enjoyment. And may we then understand what Paul meant, even if we eat or drink, to do all to the glory of God. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.